the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and we're coming at you on am860theanswer.com. And we are at 877-969-8600. If you want to join the show, that's 877-969-8600. We are an iHeart station, so you can listen to me as you roam around with your smartphone. Oh, boy. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? I know I'd listen to me if I could. I can't, though, because I'm the one who's speaking. Wait a minute. At any rate, so we've got another mass shooting down in El Paso at the Walmart. I think it's on the east side of town near the airport down there. And, of course, our hearts go out to all of the victims of that shooting. Uh, what a What a tragedy. Now the press will begin yelling and the liberal politicians yelling for more gun control. And uh, rather than listen to Dr. Bill, who has made suggestions in the past on what we can do to prevent this, they will go after the, the weapons and those of us who own guns and say that we're the problem and not the person with the uh, psychiatric illness who should be identified before the fact and I don't know how you're going to keep guns out of out of their hands. If they want to get a gun, they're going to get a gun. Now, you may say, well, assault weapons or uh, semi-automatic rifles could be more tightly regulated. But then we're getting into Second Amendment issues, and th- that's a slippery slope. And I'm, I have a lot of problems with that. So what we need to do, first of all, is take a look at just how big a deal is this? What what percentage of our population is being affected by these uh, these mass murderers and the, the uh, mass shootings? Uh, we've had around 300 so far this year. Now, 300, that includes not only episodes where a kid like this, a young man like this, comes into a crowded mall with a semi-automatic weapon and starts shooting. It also includes uh, three or more shootings in a bar at a fight or in a family feud or in a rage uh, shooting by uh, an ex-employee. So you got to do a little bit of sorting through this to uh, to really determine how much is, is uh, uh, truly mass shootings 
and how much are, you know, pre-planned mass murders and how much are just impulse uh, shootings with more than three, with three people or more. So let's say we have around 300 so far this year deaths from uh, mass shooting. And that includes impulse murders and family feuds and bar fights where there's three or more people. So let's say there's 300 million of us in the United States. Actually, there's about 340, 330 million. So this, uh, if you divide 300 by 300 million, you get 0.000001. And that, that is one in three million uh, deaths of the United States population by multiple shooting gunmen. And so that's, uh, that's a pretty small number. Uh, you say, well, what's the, what's the uh, odds of me being killed by a mass murderer in the first half of 2019? Well, it's one in three million, but, but that's not really the, the, the true number. I mean, the, the true number has to be more the risk or the hazard ratio. The odds ratio just says, of all the people in the United States, you have a one in three million chance of being shot by somebody who's shooting three or more people at a time. Now, if you don't go to bars, if you uh, are not in a violent family, if you don't have any psychiatric illness that uh, leads to violence in your family, if you don't uh, frequent areas that there are mass murders more often than not, and they seem to be uh, places where people collect in large numbers or in confined spaces like movie theaters. I mean, if, if you avoid some of these places, then your, your, your risk of, of actually being involved in a mass shooting goes way down, way down. So, you know, it's like, let's say that you have a one in a million chance, and I don't know what the numbers are, I'm just making this up, of dying in an airplane crash as an American. Well, if you never get on an airplane, the odds are uh, astronomically small because the, the risk ratio, the hazard ratio, goes way down. The risk ratio is those who are exposed and those who end up succumbing to the event. So if you fly on an airplane, you're going to have a much higher risk than if you've never flown on an airplane. Does that mean you could never be killed by an airplane crash? Sure, your house could be hit by a falling airplane. And so... It's a big difference between the odds of being killed by a mass shooter and the actual hazard or risk ratio. The, the you know what is it that puts me in the situation where it greatly increases my odds of being shot? Well, you can say, well, you know, a Walmart is a public place, and everybody goes to shop at Walmart. That's true, and that that's certainly egregious, and we want to figure out a way to uh, to stop all of that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that we can stop it completely, but we can certainly slow it down. So I think that there are things that we can do, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But let's let's just talk about this for a little bit and and look at the effects of gun control on societies and it's it's uh it's a little bit of a of a conundrum because we have to stop and think about what the second amendment means to us the second amendment means that we have a power to stop our federal government from becoming too uh, overly obtrusive uh, too heavy-handed 
And the reason that we put the Second Amendment into the Constitution was because of what the British were doing to us in the years leading up to the revolution and during our Revolutionary War, trying to limit gun control, uh, trying to uh, control the population by disarming them. And we realized early on as 13 colonies and then 13 loosely confederated states and then the tight federation that came out of the uh, Constitutional Convention in 1787 that if we did not allow guns in our society that we would have no protection against uh, an overly uh, obtrusive and heavy-handed federal government. And you say, well, I mean, come on, is that going to be a reality? I mean, this is the 21st century. Well, let me tell you about the 20th century. Let me tell you what happened in Germany after World War I. After World War I, the German economy, the German political system, the society essentially broke down, fell apart. The Weimar Republic uh, was, was put in place through popular vote and was in power in the 1920s. And the Weimar Republic was well-intentioned uh, because they wanted to cut down on the number of fascists and communists, Nazis and communists who had guns and were trying to overthrow the, the Weimar Republic, a, a duly elected democratic republic. And so they had a well-intentioned gun registry. And uh, this was an effort to cut down on the numbers of radicals on the left and right who own guns. And that came out of the chaos of the loss in World War One. So the law-abiding people, they, they complied with the law and they registered their guns. But of course, the communists and the Nazis who were committing the acts of political violence, they didn't register their guns. And then in the uh, 1931, Weimar authorities discovered plans for Hitler and the Nazis to take over. And under that system, the Jews would be denied food and those refusing to surrender their guns would be executed. And plans were written by Werner Best, the future Gestapo official, in reaction to these threats, the Weimar authorities uh, had a registration and confiscation of guns, and this was required for public safety. And the interior minister said, we can't let these records of gun registration, who owns guns, fall into the hands of extremist groups like the Nazis or the communists. Well, guess who took over in 33? In 1933, Hitler and the Nazis won the election, and they took over, and they seized power, and they used these records to further disarm the public and to round up more Jews, to attack political opponents, and then constitutional rights were suspended, mass searches for uh, seizure of guns and uh, uh, roundup of the Jews was ordered, police revoked gun licenses of Social Democrats, these were the communists and other not politically reliable people, and the liberals, anybody who wasn't a Nazi. And so then what happened? The society was cleansed. Undesirables were placed in camps. No one had guns to resist. The rights of citizens were taken from Jews and gypsies and people who disagreed with the Nazis. The Gestapo banned independent gun clubs and arrested their leaders. 
Gestapo counsel Werner Best directed forbidding issuance of firearm permits. And in 38, Hitler signed a new gun control act. And of course, some of these restrictions could be slightly liberalized, especially if you were a Nazi party member or a friend of, of the Nazi party. 22 caliber hollow points were banned. And so basically the society was rendered defenseless and guns were confiscated. Jews were persecuted and killed and mass murdered. And the government had records of everybody who owned a gun. How did that work out? Not very well. And Hitler said, if you want to control a country, first you got to disarm it. If you want to stop resistance, take away the weapons. And that's exactly what Hitler did. I mean, they took everything. They took uh, uh, souvenir guns, rusty revolvers, bayonets from World War I that were souvenirs of people who had fought for Germany, Jews who had, who had fought for Germany in World War I and had believed in the German cause. So we need to stop and think about and not have a knee-jerk reaction to these mass murders. We've got to find a way to prevent them without interfering with Second Amendment rights. The Second Amendment is not going away. It's not going away. Indeed, as I reported to you guys a couple of years ago, the, uh, the liberalization of the Second Amendment has occurred in the past 50 years. In the 19th century, there was a strict construction of the Second Amendment. And there were two cases tried at the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld the strict construction of the Second Amendment, which was that it's for uh, duly organized, legally organized state-level militia and not for individual self-defense or to own in your home to prevent burglaries, et cetera. That was not considered the purpose of the Second Amendment in the 19th century. And by the way, this is where we on the right, the conservatives, have been a little bit disingenuous when we say we want strict construction of the Constitution. Well, except when it comes to the Second Amendment, we're more than delighted that there is a more loose construction and that in the 20th century, the, the amendment has been expanded to include self-defense and uh, gun clubs and whatever else you want to say that uh, is good or bad in your opinion that, that gives us the right to own guns. Now, remember, the United States covered these events in, in Germany in the 1930s and early 40s. And when France fell to the Nazis in 1940, the first thing that, that the Nazis did was disarm the French. And the French were deprived of not only gun possession, but free speech. And anybody who, any Frenchman who failed to surrender a gun within 24 hours was subject to a death penalty. So no wonder in 1941, Congress said that they would reaffirm the Second Amendment rights and prohibited gun registration. Prohibited, said we're not going to allow gun registration in the United States. And the opponents to the bill recalled the Nazi experience. And of course, the supporters denied that the Nazis ever used registration records to confiscate guns. And they lied. 
The bill was defeated, thankfully. Now we have background checks, but these are not in the hands of the government. They're in the hands of the gun dealers, and they are only available with a court order to the police if there is reasonable cause to get this information to see if Dr. Bill was involved in a holdup using his 22 pistol. So th this, is, uh, this is where this comes in, and this is how we have gotten around gun registration. We don't have that yet, although the left would love this, and we have to fight that tooth and nail. And no matter how well-intended it is, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we, we have to be very careful about this, and we, we can say to those who were victims of this mass shooting that our hearts go out to you and that we want to, in some way or another, prevent this in the future, but banning guns and uh, gun ownership is not the way to do it. We don't want to be victims to a single party system, which is essentially what people like uh, Bernie Sanders would implement on us. He would give us a one party socialist fascist state where the ruling elite would decide what's good for us and what we need and would provide for us. And so we'd all end up like cattle. We'd be fed in the mornings and milked in the afternoons and then be told what to do and where to go. We don't want that. That's not our way. That is not our way. So let's avoid that. Now, Hillary Clinton once stated after the assault weapon ban came through in 1994, and by the way, this bill banned the manufacture, possession, and importation of assault weapons, assault weapons being automatic rifles, not semi-automatic rifles. So the the rifles that you see these guys carrying and, and the one that I use to target shoot is a semi-automatic. I have to pull the trigger each time in order for it to fire. An automatic weapon is one where you pull the trigger and you hold it and it just sprays out dozens of bullets per second. So this was banned and I'm not sure that, uh, that I agree with that, but you can actually get an automatic weapon you have to apply for a special license uh, from the, I believe, from the uh, from the uh, federal government. But you can own that, and I know people who have machine guns and silencers and different things that they have legally obtained. But at any rate, the bill under Clinton came through, and that Hillary Clinton once stated, and since quote, and since the crime bill was enacted. 19 of the deadliest assault weapons are harder to find on our streets. We will never know how many tragedies we've avoided because of these efforts, end quote. Right or wrong, that's what she said. That's what she said. So there's a couple hundred million of us that own guns in America. And the argument is that the greater gun availability increases the rate of murder and suicide. I don't know about that. I think there's debate that uh, guns ownership in areas where there is gun ownership, that crime actually goes down. And there are good statistics for that. So we have a debate there uh, that guns increase the chance of uh, entering illegal markets. 
Well, give me a break. I mean, guns are coming from outside of the United States into the United States. And guns used in violent crimes are usually stolen or transferred from person to person. Now, that's probably true. But that's not true with with mass murders. So we're talking about two different things. So what does the Second Amendment say? Let's remind ourselves. A well-regulated militia being necessary to security, to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And as I've told you guys a couple of years ago, there have only been five cases that have made it to the Supreme Court regarding the Second Amendment. And the last three in the past 50, 60 years have actually liberalized the ownership of guns. And this is in part because of the experience that we saw uh, with the uh, with the Nazis and the communists in Europe. And we don't want to see that repeated here. We want the right to defend ourselves, not only from the bad guys, but from our own government. Because they're the ones who have the power to inflict more death and carnage on us than anybody else. And if you don't think that's true, if you don't think that that's not a fact, all you have to do is look at Germany and see what happened there and see that six million Jews were mass murdered, hundreds of thousands of gypsies, hundreds of thousands of dissidents and uh, uh Catholics and anybody who disagreed with the Nazi party, millions of Russians were mass murdered. So don't you ever, ever buy into that belief that the government is benign. The government has the power, like any instrument, to do good or evil. You can take a hammer and you can build a house or you can bash somebody's head in with it. And we, as we have seen, we can't even trust our top cops. We can't trust James Comey, and he was head of the FBI, for God's sakes. I mean, the man handed over what were essentially privileged documents, later to be made confidential, about his meetings with President Trump to his friend, a law professor, with the instruction to give it to the New York Times. This was after he was fired, by the way. So you you think that he was being a little bit of a baby? and say, well, if he's going to fire me, I'm going to get him, meaning he was going to get the president. And guess what? He, he did. And he said his, his reasoning was, of course, after he, he got it out to the press, then he handed it into the FBI and they, they made it confidential. But his reasoning was that uh, he wanted to speed up the, uh, the, the, Mueller, the, the call for a Mueller-type investigation. So if you think that our top cops are good people, You better think again. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm saying that they're people. They're human beings just like you and me. They let their emotions come into it, some of them. They let the the politics of the day come into it. They let their personal uh, vendettas come into it. And I mean, when you see Comey testify, you see this guy, and you think, my God, he's, he's, he's a... He's a, a, a tweenie. He's a, a junior high schooler that's in the position of running our, our federal law enforcement agency. What is going on here? Well, I mean, this isn't anything new. People have made it to the top who have had all kinds of problems, 
who have had all kinds of immaturity-related issues, who have had all kinds of grudges. I mean, we know that. This, this is not new. So let's not allow these tragic mass murders, mass shootings, take away our Second Amendment rights. Let's find out, let's find a way, let's devise a way that we can prevent these things because prevention, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I mean, come on. That's why we have immunization so that we don't die from diseases that were formerly fatal, especially to children. I've gone through this before and I'm going to go through it again. Demand that the state and local jurisdictions enforce the law. Violent threats are illegal. Arrest these shooters before they act. Now, some law enforcement officials feel it's impossible due to the large number of social media posts to actually track these people. Give me a break. Come on. We're tracking terrorists. We're tracking and have caught and shut down innumerable terror, uh, planned terror attacks in the United States and outside of the United States as well, simply through scanning, electronically scanning social media posts. Uh, phone calls, uh, emails, and all this is done without human beings being directly involved. Computers are scanning it for catchphrases and words, and then it's looked at more closely. And then if there's a real possibility that this may come to fruition, that somebody may actually carry out a terrorist attack, then the federal and law enforcement officials are called into play. And these people are quietly rounded up and moved out of society uh, or sent to trial or, or whatever. So we can do this. We just have to want to do this. We have to be willing to demand that our officials, our jurisdictions, our governments, our state and federal governments put the money into finding this or to developing the software that will scan for these people who are making these violent threats and posting their manifestos and are uh, ready to explode and go out and shoot up the, the population indiscriminately and get them before they do it. It was just like this kid over in Broward County. Sheriff Israel and the, the jurisdictional officials over in Broward County, Florida, knew this kid was loaded and ready to go. They even went out to his house a number of times because of the violent threats he was posting on social media and because of concerns that the school and his fellow students had about him. And they didn't arrest him. They should be sued, and I think there are lawsuits underway uh, against the jurisdiction over there. And the governor of our state fired Israel, the sheriff, thank God, Take down some more of those idiots over there. My friend Al says that the reason they didn't arrest the kid is because they wanted to be politically correct because that's an ultra-liberal jurisdiction. I don't care. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, if it's all Catholics and Jews, uh, the whole family's over there, and they're all calling for peace and love and let's hug and hold hands and all that nonsense. Arrest these kids. Get them out of society. We've done this for terrorists. We can devise software, design software that, that will screen for potential mass murders through social media. We can also identify these kids when they're young, when they're very young, when they're preschool age, 
when they're coming into first grade, we can give uh, personality screens and we can identify potentially future uh, violent uh, individuals and we can go in and intervene in these families early on. And you say, well, you know, that's invading personal privacy and all that. And it's going to cost money. Wait, what are you, you going to add one or two million more social workers at uh, $50,000, $60,000 a year? Give me a break. That's peanuts. That's peanuts. And we can get to these kids and they can have a better life. Not only will they not be a threat to society, but we can get in there and help them with their anger and their depression and their confusion and the abusive households that they come out of and the neglectful households. And no, it's not going to be perfect, but at least we will be making an effort and we will cut down on some of these kids uh, turning into criminals, turning into mass murderers, into sociopaths. We can also do better screening of gun purchasers. We have waiting periods in most states. In most states, we have three or five or seven day waiting period that you, you have to go in and you have to give some information to the gun dealer. And he does a background check, which you pay for. And it's a very simple check. I mean, you know, it's just going to the state and federal websites and seeing if you have any criminal history or any psychiatric history. and. Uh, so it's, it's not a big, big deal. We screen our employees when they come in. We go to the state uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement website and, and pay $25 and screen and see if these future potential employees have had any, uh, any history of, of crime, crime or criminal activity. And I just had one we screened uh, last month. And, my wife and my front office people and everybody, they just loved her. She's wonderful. She's had so much experience. When you hear that, you better stop and check because, you know, a good sociopath can fool anybody. And what I would tell the nurses in the ER when I worked in the ER in the emergency room is if they really, really liked a doctor or a nurse, a new nurse coming in, you better watch them because they're probably in the drug cabinet because you can't be super nice and work in the ER. You got to be a little crusty. And if you're super duper nice, something's up. So we did the background check on this woman. 1985, felony arrest for <laughs> robbery. <laughs> she over $5,000. The DA worked out a deal and reduced it to under 5,000. That was the break point for uh, you know, a major felony versus a minor felony at that time. And she had changed her name and her social security number. Now you may say, well, she could have reformed. Yeah, she could have. But she didn't reveal to us that she had changed her name, that she had had a police record, that she had been arrested and convicted of a felony for stealing. And I'm going to put her in my front office where we collect money? I don't think so. So we need better screening all around. And it's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. We can do this. Come on. Let's harden the targets. Let's harden the targets. You say, well, how do you harden a parking lot when a kid gets out with an assault weapon and starts shooting his way into a Walmart. It's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be easy, but uh, we can do some things. We can certainly at schools and at movie theaters, we can do that. Uh, we can have uh, uh, metal detectors to make sure that somebody's not walking in with a gun. 
Uh, we can have police posted, which most of the schools do now. And uh, if you go down to some of the uh, some of the malls and the movie theater areas in St. Petersburg now, there's cops wandering around. There's guards. There's rent of cops. And let's put police where the risk exists. Why are police sitting in the middle of the interstate when there's nothing there, chit-chatting with somebody, and then stopping some poor old doctor on his way home because he didn't wait for the cop to say, okay, you can go now. Give me a break. Get these guys out and make them do the job they were hired to do. Put the police where the risk exists. We can train doctors, lawyers, teachers, and other professionals how to res recognize at-risk individuals. As a doctor, if I see child abuse or child neglect, I'm obliged to report it. Let's broaden the uh, let's broaden the uh, parameters for what is abuse and neglect. Let's intervene before there is an attack. Let's have better reporting and awareness by all. Keep your eyes open. Let's hold professionals harmless from civil prosecution for reporting at-risk individuals. Let's allow schools, businesses, and public venues more authority to screen, report, detain, and harden their sites. And if it looks like it's out of place, acts like it's out of place, dresses like it's out of place, talks like it's out of place, guess what? It's out of place. It don't belong there. And finally, as I have advocated for before, let's have a domestic militia that is well-screened, that has been psychiatrically and psychologically cleared, that has been trained in the use of weapons, and let them be armed and carry weapons concealed. One in every 10 able adults everywhere who are willing to stand up to these shooters, these mass shooters, pull out their pistol and use it. Let's do that. And let's also grab a cup of joe. I'll be right back. I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Renews, Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 6411-727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline. 
online at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. Captain Matt here for Freedom Boat Club, where the numbers tell the story. With one of the largest fleets of any Freedom Boat Club in the country, you have access to over 400 boats with six different types of watercraft, including center consoles, deck boats, and skiffs. Enjoy privileges at 24 ports with two more on the way and 185 locations in the U.S. and Canada. The numbers are always in your favor at FreedomBoatClubTampaBay.com. That's FreedomBoatClubTampaBay.com or call 855-FREEDOM. That's 855-FREEDOM. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mainly cloudy with a shower or a thunderstorm around. Today's high, 90. Partly cloudy with a scattered thunderstorm tonight, low 77. Periods of cloudy and sunshine with a shower or a thunderstorm tomorrow, high 88. Increasing cloudiness tomorrow night, low 77. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Jonathan Reed for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. Can you hear me okay, Bill? Yeah, no, I, I was, it sounded like the music was breaking up. I don't know if the folks at home had that problem, but it might have just been me. No, but just uh, you and uh, you're, you're angelic and the music is tight and everything's working just fine. Yeah, oh boy, good. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. So that was a little of a Metallica, and they're upset about the violence and they're getting out and moving back. And so, uh, you know, I don't blame them for being upset. That was a few years ago. And we talked about the mass shooting down in in El Paso, first half of the show. I want to switch gears now. Uh, Thousands are protesting in Hong Kong, and China media warns that Beijing will not let the situation continue. Uh, You say, what are they protesting over in Hong Kong? Now, Hong Kong was a protectorate of the uh, United Kingdom, Great Britain, for 100 years. The the, uh, British had leased the island and the district from China, and that lease ended uh, a decade or two ago. And so now Hong Kong has returned to China as a part of China. Well, it, it has some special rules and laws. It has a little more independence. Uh, it's an economic development zone, and it is still an international banking center and trade center. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this is that I was uh, on online with one of the women who are selling me some things that I'm, I'm buying from China for the, for the toenail fungus uh, project. And uh, she wanted to know what time my show was. So if you're listening, uh, and I don't know if she was able to get it in, in, in China, I don't know how, how well controlled their, their, uh, their internet is over there. But uh, if you're listening, I appreciate you. I think her name is Sue. And 
we've had fun chit-chatting online. And it's interesting to see how the, the Chinese look at their, their situation. And of course, they're morphing, you know, they're changing their, their, the inevitability of uh, democracy, unless there is some kind of a, a massive violent uh, put down by the communist government, which I don't think there will be. There's just there's there's just not enough in the military to control 1.5 billion people, even though they've got a huge standing army. Uh, there's just I, I don't know how they could do it. But at any rate, so Hong Kong has returned to Chinese governance oversight, and the people in Hong Kong have had 100 years of democracy. And they're upset because the the government uh, had said that if you were found guilty of or, or there you were being tried for a felony offense, then you would be brought to main back to mainland China. And the Hong Kong people are saying, wait a minute, that's not right. We have jails here and the jails in China are abysmal. And we're, you know, some of the things that we'll be accused of are more politically related and motivated than they are criminal. And we don't like that. And so they started protesting and they were protesting about the the uh, the administrator of the province who had been appointed by the by the Communist Party, by the federal government in China. Oh, by the way, they don't they don't have gun ownership over there. And so <clears throat> these people started protesting several months ago and the the federal government in Beijing said, okay, we'll, we'll hold off on implementing this law that would extradite you back to the mainland if you committed a crime that, that we thought was egregious enough to be tried here in the, in the main part of the country. Well, then the, uh, the, the people said, yeah, but we want more than that. We want you to get rid of this administrator. We want to choose our own administrator we don't want this extradition bill, and we want police to stop investigating us, and we want the violence to stop because we're not doing anything wrong. We're just leading the same life that we've led for decades. And the protesters are upset because, according to Gabriel Lee, a 21-year-old technology student, uh, the government was not responding to any of the protesters' demands uh, to examine police violence. Whoa, police violence? Do we have that here? Have we been examining that? You know, the problems are universal, aren't they? So police violence against uh, people who are not politically correct or are not the right color or are not from the right tribe, uh, this seems to be a universal problem. And so the uh, the Police are attacking the rioters with tear gas and water guns and whatever else. I, I don't think they've killed anybody yet. 20 people have been arrested, and they'll be uh, shipped off to the mainland, and you won't hear from them for 10 years as they go into federal prisons. And the protesters were setting fires in the street outside police stations and rubbish bins, blocking entrances to one of the major tunnels that connected uh, two parts of the province. Hong Kong and the Kowloon Peninsula. You know, it'd be like blocking up the uh, George Washington Bridge or the Lincoln Tunnel uh, in New York City and just basically shutting down the city. And of course, this is a tourist area as well as a commercial area. This is one of the biggest commercial cities in the world and everything's shut down.
7-Eleven stores, jewelry stores, uh, uh, tourist areas. And all this was done in one day in protest of what the federal government was trying to do to the people who are protesting in Hong Kong. And there's no right to protest in China. They don't have the same right to to uh, uh, congregate and to voice their concerns and their opinions and to practice their religions openly and freely. It's getting better. There's more tolerance, but it's still not there. And by the way, thousands of civil servants joined this anti-government protest on Friday. Civil servants in Hong Kong have left their post and are joining the protesters. And this is in in, uh, defiance of a warning from authorities to remain politically neutral. And they're saying, no, we're not. We're pro-democracy. We agree with the protesters. And this is the biggest protest that has challenged uh, President Xi, the uh, leader of the Communist Party, since he took office in 2012. And China's official news agency on Sunday said the central government will not sit by idly and let this situation continue. We firmly believe that Hong Kong will be able to overcome the difficulties and challenges ahead. Now, Hong Kong has been allowed to retain extensive freedoms, such as an independent judiciary. But if you demand that people be extradited back to the mainland, then an independent judiciary has no meaning because you're taking the jurisdiction Uh, the judicial jurisdiction back to Beijing or wherever. Uh, You're taking it out of the local jurisdiction. And, of course, the demonstrations are hurting the economy. Local shoppers and tourists are are avoiding this area. And people feel that it's the government's fault that they're encouraging people to become more radical to affect decisions and decision-making because they're not addressing any of the demands. So the government is pushing, in the opinion of some people, more radicalization so that they can then come in and say, well, see, you're really out of control. You're really just a bunch of radicals, and you're not really uh, for anything constructive here, and we're going to get you out of here, and we're going to arrest you all and put you in prison for 10 years. And don't forget... Don't forget that you can't own a gun in China. I mean, there's, you could probably get a permit to have a hunting rifle, but, you know, there are no pistols. And I, I was talking with our guide when we were in Xi'an. Xi'an is the ancient capital at the end of the Silk Road. It's about 150 miles south of the Gobi Desert in, in kind of north-central China. And the Silk Road was the, was the uh, travel trade route from China back to Europe, uh, through Asia, through Central Asia. And this was the first capital of China. This was the uh, old imperial city. And this was where the many provinces and states were finally brought under control into one country that we now know as China. And of course, the Chinese have fallen apart and come back together several times uh, in their 2,500-year history of being a country. And they've had their own internal conflicts and wars and have conquered each other, one tribe or one uh, state uh, conquering another. And, of course, we don't want to see that. We want to see the Chinese 
peacefully and happily sticking together and working together. I mean, it doesn't do the world any good to have a country that size and turmoil. So uh, I'm all for uh, a unified China, but I'm also for a unified China that is a functional democracy and they're getting there, but we, we have to keep pushing for that. And we have to remember that, that we do have power over the Chinese. We have the power of trade. We have the power of our voice, of our way of life, of our opinion. And if you think they're not interested in what we, what we think and have to say, then you should come read all of my chit chats on WhatsApp, which is, uh, kind of like, a, a, um, it, it's, it's like a chat. Uh, site where you can talk back and forth with somebody. And a lot of the salespeople in China use WhatsApp to communicate with me about products that I want to buy. And uh, you can talk to people also on Alibaba, which is their big wholesale. Uh, it's kind of like their Amazon at the wholesale level. And the guy that started Alibaba is one of the richest men on the planet now. So what we say and what we think and what we do are important. They are important. The world is listening to us, looking to us for leadership, for uh, input, for courage to stand up to uh, oppression, uh, to push for democracy, to push for personal freedoms, to push for uh, an end to corruption. And so much of the world is so corrupt and that's why we have to be extremely, extremely conscientious, extremely diligent in pursuing our top cops who are corrupt, who are using their powers for political or uh, financial or situational gain. So we have to set the example, like it or not, like it or not, we are who the world looks to. And so we need to keep doing that, and we need to encourage our Chinese cousins and friends to uh, quietly, diligently, consistently pursue the road to freedom and democracy. And this won't mean the end of the Communist Party. It won't mean the end of power. I mean, uh, there's, there's plenty to go around. you got 1.5 billion people. Let other people come to the table, too. You know, the, the communists have meted out much of the uh, of the super duper businesses, the big money makers to Communist Party members. And they have taken these uh, enterprises partially private and partially government owned. And uh, it's it's a step forward. It's a beginning. It's not ideal, but it's also a reminder of where we don't want to go. We do not want to go there. Now, let me go back to the Department of Justice and what uh, Bill Barr and his people said. They said there was no way they could bring criminal charges against Comey for leaking those documents because they weren't classified at the time that he leaked them. And he said, these are my personal documents, and therefore they weren't classified until my superiors demanded them and I handed them over, and then they made them classified. And this was part of what Mueller hung his hat on to, to investigate and to actually look in the second part, as we talked about, the second part of his report into obstruction. He went largely on what Comey said, what Comey said in his personal notes. Of course, they were one-on-one -on -one conversations with the president. So as I pointed out before, it's a he said, she said situation. 
And I can't really see that the president did anything all that egregious. I mean, uh, uh, perhaps ignorant, uh, per- perhaps uh, unartful. But then again, uh, I think this guy has a lack of art, and and then he manipulates the press and other politicians into putting themselves in the in the bad light. So uh, I don't know. Maybe the president knows what he's doing. I'll just get out of his way and let him do it. He seems to have good instincts when it comes to manipulating uh, these these corrupt and uh, crazy politicians and politicos. So let him do it. So at any rate, the Justice Department said we don't think there's enough here. Does that mean this is over? No, there's still the whole thing of the FISA court uh, applications and whether or not these guys knew and in, in, in the upper levels of the FBI that what they were bringing to the FISA court was bogus. And if it was, and they misrepresented to the FISA court, the documents and the data that they had to support their claim that Trump and the Russians were colluding in the 2016 election, then that's a big deal. And if you've read the Patriot Act, which was a rehash of the old uh, Foreign Intelligence uh, Act uh, that was passed in the 1970s, it was just an update, even though back in the early 2000s, it it was a big deal and the left was screaming and carrying on about it. It, There there wasn't a whole lot new in it other than that it now allows for electronic surveillance and we didn't have electronic surveillance because we didn't have computers and the internet back in the 1970s. This was a recent invention. So it broadened it, and of course it protects First Amendment rights, and every single clause of the Patriot Act ends with the exception that it doesn't apply to First Amendment rights, that you can't use that, the, the, the uh, Patriot Act or the Foreign Intelligence Service Act uh, for uh, uh, going after people who are just expressing their First Amendment rights. So there's a lot of protection there, and it really has not been misused by the right to go after anybody for uh, their their personal beliefs. But the left has used it. They're going after Trump for his political beliefs, which are more in line with what the founding fathers had envisioned than anything we're hearing from them today and what they're saying on the stage in these debates. Craziness. Craziness. How does this happen, Bill? How does this happen? How did we get here? I don't know. Well, by the way, today is Bill's last show. My wingman, my producer is leaving me and I'm sorry to see him go. I'm sorry to go too. So, Bill, tell us real quick what you're going to do. Real quick, I'm just going to be uh, I'm going to be working within the uh, public school system, helping uh, kids that uh, need a little bit of a, an extra boost to get their credits in line, so they can uh, end up graduating, become very productive citizens. Very good, and that's just what I've been advocating. <laughs> exactly, it's perfect. It's a perfect uh, smooth transition. That's right. Well, you shouldn't have listened so closely because <laughs> now I'm losing you. <laughs> Too good well, for we'll your be own sorry good. to see you go. And uh, Bill, I told Bill off and on over the years, everybody at the station really liked him. And he said, that's news to me. And then when he resigned and everybody was sad, he said, I didn't know they felt that way about me. But you're a good guy, Bill, and I wish you the best. Thank you, sir. Well, I think, yeah, I think we've had a pretty good show today. I, I, I feel like we've gone over a lot of material. And I again will say to my friends in China, don't give up. And keep pushing. 
gently, firmly. And remember, they don't have a lot of information. They don't get the information that we get. So they're learning as they go. They're learning as they go. And uh, that's okay. That's how you do it. Let's keep the lines of communication open. We can put pressure on them economically, on the government, because when the economy is not doing well, the people aren't happy. And that does not bode well for the Chinese governments. The imperial governments there have fallen more than once because of economic woes of the common man. Well, this is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I appreciate you listening. Don't forget about my toenail gel, and I'll see you guys next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.